good to be led into the presence of the true and the living God. This morning we're going to be talking about wisdom. It's my personal observation that wisdom is a rare commodity. As I look at my own life, some of the bonehead decisions I've made over the years just baffle me. As I look at our culture, school boards, White House, doesn't matter. There just seems to be a distinct absence of wisdom. Sometimes it's easy to get wisdom confused. While there's an element of this, we're not talking about intellect. There are some very smart people who aren't very wise. We're not talking about education. A while back, for some reason, we were was talking about getting an education and dealing with the politics of education and all of that. And, and I've been rather successful with that over the years. And so after that, uh, an educator uh, said to me, okay, Mr. Smart Guy. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I didn't tell you I was smart. I said, I'm good at going to school. And it's not the same thing. It has to do with making judgments, decision-making. Wisdom is taking data, deciphering it, discerning it, and applying it in a healthy, appropriate, God-honoring, God-directed way. And there's, there's times where it's just a matter of maturity and experience. Our first, well, not, not, not my first, but uh, there was a young lady who was her first trip to Ukraine church went to Ukraine for many, many years, and, and uh, so she gets off the plane. We're in, uh, we're in the airport in Kiev, and we're getting our luggage, and she says, oh, my luggage isn't here. And we say, okay, well, well, what's missing? And she says, well, I carried a bag onto the plane, and it's not here. Uh, we all kind of looked at each other and uh, had a little chuckle, like some of you are. And by the way, she was a blonde. Uh, but uh, carry on, carry off. You, know, you didn't get that. Well, this young lady matured and grew up, and she was a mission leader in a large church in California, taking trips all over the world. She just had never had that experience. And so we, as we mature, hopefully we get better at coping and dealing with our world. You are making decisions constantly. Life is just one decision after another. Uh, most of you, I trust, brush your teeth today. It's something oral hygiene. Uh, and uh, I have a five and a six-year-old granddaughter. We have to remind them to brush their teeth. They're just, they just haven't figured that out yet. I have a 15-year-old grandson, and uh, he's learning the hard way what it means that, you know, Again, personal hygiene. Take a shower. Right? When I was a youth pastor and we would go on retreats with junior high boys, we always included in a little care package for each guy some deodorant because they just didn't get it. But they'll get it eventually. It's maturing. But, but we're talking more, more than just that. 
I'm getting ready to sneeze, I think. <coughs> yep, I did. Okay, yeah, thank you. I don't care who you are, I don't care how old you are, if you're 12 or if you're 112, you need wisdom. You are making decisions. Little ones, big ones, same is true for Berean. Hmm, wonder what's going on here. Uh, but anyway, um, so we're, we're going to, to talk about that. Let me just mention something that I've had more than one person talk to me about, share an idea, a concept, about the search process. And, and somehow, somebody got the idea that we were going to bring like three different men in, and for three consecutive Sundays they were going to preach, and everybody was going to kind of look them over, and check off their list, and then there was going to be a vote on those three. It was going to be a beauty contest. Uh, it was going to be a speaking competition. Uh, it was going to be a sales pitch. And that's never been the intention. It's, that's not even allowed by Berean's constitution. I worked with a former pastor who was an incredibly good salesman. He said, believed, and it was pretty much true, that if he could have 15 minutes with you, he could convince you that whatever he was selling was the thing that you needed. And he was a, a bad guy. But he was able to, you know, on the surface, very effective in selling. That's not what's going to happen with Berean, because it's not wise. You will have an occasion, an opportunity at some point in the future to get to know somebody, to research them, to listen to their messages online, uh, to meet them in person, talk to them, hear them speak live, and then make a decision if you believe that's the person God wants. But it'll be done one at a time. I mean, and it's not a competition. Well, that guy, I don't like him. He, that's not going to happen. It's a discerning process. It's a, a process requiring wisdom. So with that in mind, we're going to look at James chapter 3. James, in a very practical effort to connect teaching and doctrine with behavior, he did with faith. He said, you show me your, your, your faith, and I'll show you my deeds, and faith without deeds is pointless. Uh, he said uh, in verse, chapter 1, verse 27, religion that our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Uh, he, he wanted the individuals who were reading his letter to have a, a clear connection between what they were learning, what they were studying, and how it impacted the way they lived. And so now he's doing that with wisdom. I would invite you to turn to James chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 13 to 18. Turn your phone on, turn your device on, open up your Bible, and we're going to read that together. Would you stand with me? In anticipation from hearing God and in respect to God and His Word, James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? 
Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Father, we ask that your spirit would be our teacher. Lots of voices, Father, clamoring for our attention. We want to hear from you. I ask, Lord, that you would protect these dear people from an interpretation that's incorrect that I might present, an application that's inappropriate. Lord, help us to hear you. Give us hearts that are open, minds that are sharp, wills that are poised to obey, to be encouraged, to be challenged. Whatever you know, each of us need. We are grateful, Father, for the indwelling Holy Spirit to those of us who know you as Lord and Savior. We are grateful that you have preserved your word for us supernaturally. Lord, give us ears to hear, please, for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. We find here that there are two sources of wisdom. James clearly states them. Okay? In verse 15, he talks about inappropriate, weak wisdom. He calls it, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. The two sources of wisdom. One is earthly, ultimately the devil. Satan is our enemy. He is bright. He is crafty. He's not God, and he has limits, to be sure. And God is still in control, and Satan is kept on a, a leash, if you will. But nevertheless, he, he is alive and well, and seeking to impact believers, to distract us, to discourage us, to defeat us. So one source of wisdom is earthly wisdom. Notice the descending order of severity, earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. Remember that Peter was told, get thee behind me, Satan. There are times where even Christ's followers can be unwitting pawns of the enemy, saying what appears to be reasonable, but is not really wise. Ephesians 6.12 for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I think we have demonstrated in our culture during my lifetime some examples of how our culture 
at one point thought that this, whatever it is, I'm going to mention a couple, was inappropriate, unhealthy, illegal, unacceptable. To now, the same exact thing is considered legal, a, a viable, healthy option. And if you don't accept it, you're the bad guy. A whole culture, a whole worldview, sense of values has, has done a 180. Let me give you the two examples I'm thinking of. We have accepted as a culture a diminished view of human life. We, we do not value unborn children. They become an option based upon the particular circumstances of the birth parents. Both of my daughters are adopted, and we are so grateful for the decision made by the couples that they were not ready to handle the responsibilities of being parents. And so out of respect for the child, they said, please, somebody help us. And we were fortunate to be available to do that. What a blessing that is. But millions of individuals who have what is now called unplanned pregnancies, inconvenient pregnancies, just simply dispose of the child. A, a practice that at one point was illegal, frowned upon. Oh, you know, today, yeah, it's an option. Older people. There was a time where older people were venerated. They were, they were respected. They were loved. They were cared for sacrificially. Time, energy, and money. And now we marginalize older people. We kind of, you know, keep them over here, out of way, out of sight, out of mind. They're an inconvenience. They're a drain on my limited resources. 180. Human life. Another broad-stroked arena of life is this whole gender confusion discussion slash debate. There was a time a baby was born, and the doctor would hold the baby up and slap it, and the baby would start crying and say, oh, this is a boy, this is a girl. They could see it. Now, a baby is born, and the anticipation is, well, someday they'll make a choice. And we, could have a, we need to have a compassionate discussion about both those topics. But, but again, you understand how we've gone from here to here. How did that happen? I don't, think, I don't think a bunch of very smart humans got together in a room and said, hey, let's talk this through. Let's figure out how to persuade a whole culture to abandon what they've been taught for years to this over here. I think it's a spiritual battle. I think it's the work of the enemy. 
I think it's a huge distraction. It's a, it, it's a, it's a detriment. See, the devil, according to James, is the source of this earthly wisdom. Well, contrast that to heavenly wisdom, verse 17, but, see, the but, but the wisdom that comes from heaven. So the second source is heavenly wisdom, and it's the Lord. Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You take God out of the equation, you, you create a worldview that is based upon intellectualism and and logic, and reasoning, and with the abandonment of God, and you end up in a less than positive place. So the two sources of wisdom, the devil and the Lord. James reminds us that wisdom is demonstrated, just like he did with religion, and and faith, and all of that. You can see it in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Wisdom is not just an academic discussion. It's not just something to be uh, talked about in the halls of academia. It's to be demonstrated. It should impact the way we live because it's impacting the way we process data, information, and the judgment that we exercise in making decisions based upon that information. The book of Proverbs was written so that we could become wise. Proverbs 1, 2, and 3, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice, and equity. It's imperative that we make wisdom a goal of our life. And we'll talk about that before we're finished. But it needs to be demonstrated. This is not just a theoretical thing. Okay? So it's two sources. Devil, the Lord, it's demonstrated. And James tells us to check our hearts to discern if the wisdom that we are operating under, that we are utilizing, that we are applying our decision-making process, our judgment in our day-to-day lives, check your heart. Notice what he says in verse 14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. One way to see if the wisdom that you personally are applying as you make decisions at work, at school, with your family, even here at Berean, ask yourself the question, do you have bitter envy? Well, how come they're getting to make those decisions and not me? Who do they think they are? I said this before. We see this demonstrated significantly in the United States sports world, especially when it comes to children and students. Well, who does that coach think he is? My my daughter's as good as that girl. How come she's not in? I'm calling the principal. 
I'm going to, I'm going to make a complaint to the school board because they're not giving my child enough court time. That bitter envy, that selfish ambition. Okay? This is, this is the person who, who interprets everything, and that's a little bit of hyperbole, I understand, on the basis of how is it impacting me? What is being asked of me? What am I being asked to give up? What am I being asked to do? To the extreme, this is the paranoid person. They're out to get me. No one listens to me. I don't feel valued. In church world, it's like, well, who do those deacons think they are? Who made the pastors the king of the church? How come they're making all the decisions? Be careful. Check your heart. Check your heart. Bitter envy and selfish ambition. The wisdom writer in Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Always look inside. Be, be honest enough to, to say, man, something's going on here. And then, he, and then he gives this caution. Do not boast about it. Well, I'm, I really have insight. People won't listen to me. They don't understand that I get it. I've been in situations where, where somebody in the leadership position in a church genuinely believed that they knew more than anybody else. And if the church would just do what they said, the church would flourish. Now, not to mention that the person didn't graduate from college. That's no big deal, really, in my book. But, um, and, and, you know, they were a business person. They were sharp and all that. But they're part-time thinkers. Well, what are these pastors now? I mean, they just spend their whole lives getting ready for this and trying to do this, but they don't know what they're talking about. I'm better. Do not boast about it. And do not deny the truth. Don't live in the world of denial. Be willing to allow the Spirit of God to speak to you because there may be some hard adjustments that you need to make in your life. Check your heart. This, this, this applies to everything. We're doing a family vacation this summer, and my 15-year-old grandson does not like the beach. He, he, just doesn't. he loves cities. And he's been to lots of cities, spent lots of time in cities. He was in Paris at the conclusion of the 100th running of the Tour de France. I mean, he, he, he likes cities, subways and noise and dirt and all that kind of stuff. Of course, grandma and grandpa and mom and dad have helped him in that long. But uh, he, doesn't want to, he doesn't want to go to the beach. It doesn't matter to him that everybody else wants to go to the beach. His parents, his grandparents, uh, his nieces, his aunt. Yeah, well, okay, but really, I want to go to the city. Well, selfish ambition, and we've pretty much squelched that discussion. He's going to the beach, uh, but, uh, and he will have a good time. Forced fun, forced fun. But check your heart, check your heart. 
then check your wake. What's behind you? Okay? Be, be honest enough to stop, look around, and see what you leave behind you. And James paints a picture of what earthly wisdom of the devil leaves behind and what heavenly, godly wisdom leaves behind. So just turn around and, and with an open heart and mind, look, pay attention. What are you seeing? Okay? Proverbs 28, 28 says, when the wicked rise, people hide themselves. But when they perish, the righteous increase. You ever been in a situation, and I know you have, where there was a person in your classroom that just caused trouble, and, and when the days that they weren't there, things were better. Volleyball practice went better when, when she wasn't at practice. Workplace. Oh, he's on vacation this week. We're going to have a great week. Okay? When, 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 when the, the person who lacks wisdom, heavenly wisdom, is removed, things get better. Things get better. But when they're around, people hide, according to the Proverbs. I had a good friend that, that came to a point in his life and he, he uh, he's asked himself the question, who's going to cry at my funeral? And he pondered that. Who's going to miss me? And he changed the way he lived. He changed the way he lived. When the wicked rise, people hide themselves, but when they perish, the righteous increase. Check your wake. Now, what's it say? What's the specifics? Verse 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, okay, there we go, there you find disorder and every evil practice. There's confusion. We don't know what to do. You say this one time and this another, and, and, and there, there, there seems to be no real purpose. There's, there's no consistency. Disorder. Are things better when you're not around? I'd be surprised if there's not an uncle or an aunt or somebody in your family that when they show up at family events, you just wish they weren't there. Don't be that person. Find disorder. An evil practice. I've said it before. Uh, there is a, there's a very unwelcomed pattern in the church in America that young people, starting with junior high now, start drifting away from the Lord. By the time they get into college, they pretty much wash their hands of the whole church thing. And so they've been studied. Why, what's going on? What are we doing wrong? How are we failing in this passing off our faith to the next generation, which we're commanded to do? And one of the contributing factors that has been surfaced is that children see their parents and they see the faith of their parents. And they see more often than we want to admit that mom and dad, they put on their Christianity Sunday morning 
and they take it off about 1 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. Put it in a little bag, pull it out the next week. And there's no connection between what they say they believe and how they act on Sunday morning compared to how they live the other six and a half days of the week. It's called hypocrisy. And the children see it, they're frustrated by it. It doesn't make any sense to them, and it just tells them, well, you know, there's a, what's going on here? Why would I embrace a faith that you really don't apply on a regular basis? Evil practice. What's a wake result from the heavenly wisdom? Verse 18. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. A harvest of righteousness. As with most of you, the prayer that my wife and I have had for our children and grandchildren is that they would grow up to be godly people. That they would become independent of mom and dad and dependent upon the Lord. Now, we have made mistakes that are just colossal. But that's our heart. We want to see a harvest of righteousness. When I was in ministry as a camp director, a youth pastor or a lead pastor, that was the goal. Disciples. As an interim pastor now for these past several years, help the church get ready to do ministry while I'm there. It's not a parenthesis or a hiatus. It's not a nap. It's not a vacation. It's not a hibernation. Uh, ministry continues, but we're thinking about getting ready for the next person, the next chapter. A harvest of righteousness. Check your wake, okay? So you get two sources of wisdom, earthly, the devil, heavenly, uh, the Lord. Wisdom is demonstrated. It, check your heart. Check your wake. And then James gives seven bullet point characteristics of heavenly worship. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. In this context, He's talking about purity in the sense of it's absent from this selfish ambition and this bitterness, that kind of purity. Not that other kinds of purity aren't important, but that's what he's talking about here. Peace-loving. Life is all about people. It's always about people. Every decision that we make has multiple layers of, of impact, but ultimately it helps other people. It's about other people. So we need, we need to be peace-loving. We, we, as much as is possible with me, with you, be at peace with everyone. Not successful because they have wills and they make choices, but we need to be committed to that. It's about people. Consider it. This can mean a number of things, but I think in the context, at least one strong uh, aspect of this is that they recognize situational realities. Again, uh, if, if you go back to chapter 1, verse uh, 27, he's 
when he's explaining what real religion is, he, he talks about orphans and widows. He's looking at life in an honest way, and he's saying, okay, treat this person this way, this person this way, this person this way. We don't treat everybody the same. We don't want to be treated the same. So when you are exercising heavenly wisdom, which finds its source in the true and the living God, you're paying attention to what's going on. You don't discipline your children. You don't, you know, some, some, some children are incredibly passive, and you treat them a certain way, and you hope they, they can give them more strength and able to say no to the crowd, and then some are, are just so strong-willed, you, you know, it's, it's amazing that they've survived. I mean, I've had one of each, and my oldest daughter, she is fortunate that we did not kill her. Really, um, but um, but you treat them differently. You're considerate, submissive. You have to have a healthy relationship to authority. Bob Dylan said it like this: You're gonna you're gonna serve somebody. It's either gonna be the devil or it's gonna be the Lord. Okay, you're gonna serve somebody. So have a healthy response to authority. We are all under authority. Every single one of us, at multiple levels and at different times, to be sure. Mercy, not giving what is deserved. See, when you're talking about me, I want mercy. I don't want what I deserve. When we're talking about you, I want justice. Okay? Well, wisdom, which reflects the heart of God, and God is just, and He will act justly, righteously, according to His characteristic of being holy. Make no mistake about it. God will not be mocked. But he's also merciful, slow to anger. Be like that. Good fruit. Demonstrate impact. You know, people can see it, taste it, experience it. Impartial means that you value and respect everybody. Now, you do that with wisdom, you're considerate, all those kind of things. And then sincere that's integrity. You cannot have a meaningful, long-term relationship with anybody if they do not tell you the truth. Last year, my grandson, who was 14, was um, deceiving his parents about his grades. He was able to manipulate that for a little bit of time until the teacher started talking to mom and dad. And we had a long talk about that. His name is Cameron. I said, Cameron, you realize if you don't tell the truth, you will not be trusted. And you cannot have a relationship. You can't keep a job. You can't have a relationship. You can't have a healthy marriage. You can't have friends. You have got to be a young man of integrity. And I think he got that. I pray he did. But what's true for a 14-year-old is true for a 44-year-old and an 84-year-old. And a 104-year-old. You'll notice that in each of these, I give you a proverb to look at. Remember that the book of Proverbs was written so that we could become wise. Here's the, here's the incredible good news about this. And that is 
that you and I can become wise. We are not condemned to our past. We can change. We can learn. We are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. But this is what the, the, the prologue, the beginning of Proverbs says. Proverbs chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining, meaning you don't have it now, attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair. Who doesn't want that for their own life? For giving prudence to the simple, you can move from simple to wise, Knowledge and discretion to the young, you can mature as you grow up. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Even if you've got a measure of wisdom, you can get wiser and let the discerning get guidance. Let me suggest to you that the way to become wise, first of all, is ask for it. Make it a conscious prayer request, James chapter 1, verse 5. Acknowledge that you desperately need God to give you wisdom in the decisions that you're making. Walk with the wise. Who do you hang out with? What are you reading? What are you listening to? What are you watching on television? What are you accessing on your computer? Walk with the wise. And then seek wisdom. Seek wisdom. Where does God provide the opportunity for us to become wise? In the book of Proverbs. So read it, ponder it, pray over it, memorize it. Go to Proverbs. There are 31 chapters of Proverbs. There is not a month in our calendar that, doesn't, that has more than 31 days. So read a chapter. Start this way. Read a chapter. Today's the 19th. Go home and read Proverbs 19. Prayerfully, crying out to God to speak to you in your particular environment. And then tomorrow, do Proverbs 20, and then 21. You get busy, you miss 22, then go to 23. I've been doing that for years. Now, some of you are thinking, well, it didn't work with you. Well, let me just suggest to you, oh, you wouldn't want to see me without that. I mean, it's, well, well, let's not go there, okay? Uh, and so I've got a long way to go. But by the grace of God, I'm a little better than I used to be. I've slowed that down in recent years where I just take a little bit of a week, I mean a day, and put it right down my journal and, and pray about it and think about it. Uh, kind of slow it down. But, but, but start with just reading the proverb and asking the Spirit of God, to speak to you. And, and out of those verses, there's a real good chance you're going to find something. Yeah, hey, I need that. that. That impacts me today. Ask for it. Walk with the wise. Seek it. You and I, for as long as God gives us breath, are going to be making decisions. We desperately need the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to help us to be wise. Whether that's me as an individual, you as an individual, our families, 
our church. I have come to greatly respect the leadership of Berean. Some incredibly wise men and women, staff, deacons, search team, trustees, decision makers. I think Berean is, is experiencing God's leading, getting poised for the next, for the future, the next chapter. Grateful for them. Pray for them. But, but let's focus on ourselves. Let's pray together. Father, I do ask that you would help each of us. We are facing decisions. Some here, Father, may be making decisions about a career change. Maybe retirement. Maybe, Father, a significant multiple-year consequence financial decision, a house, a car. There's probably people here, Father, who are thinking in terms of should we have another child? Should we have a child? Should I get married? Who should I get married to? Lord, there are all those kind of big decisions. And then the little ones. Help us, Lord, to develop our, our wisdom strength by consciously being in dependence upon you and allowing your word to give us direction in the decisions that we make. I pray that, Father, for each of us as individuals, for our families, and for our church. Lord, we long to have a harvest of righteousness. We want that to be our heritage. That will only happen, Father, as we submit to you, as we humbly, consciously remind ourselves of our dependence upon you. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and for your mercy. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you, Father, for the incredible privilege of seeing you transform us into the image of your Son, and then, Lord, to allow us the, the privilege of being used in other people's lives as well. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't forget the 6 o'clock meeting this evening. We'll see you.